everyone, and welcome back to another ISACA podcast. My name is Lisa Cook, and I'm the Governance Risk and Compliance Principal uh, for the job practice here at ISACA. I want to welcome James Wang, who was with us from Cisco. James, would you introduce yourself to everyone? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm James. I'm part of the global, cal- global cloud compliance team here at Cisco. Um, I've been here for about two and a half years. Um, prior to that, I was at EY for about four to five years as well. Sounds good. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, James, you wrote a very compelling article and you spoke about the cloud controls framework. So we're going to dig in and chat a little bit about that. Um, But before we do, I want to just talk more broadly about why is security and compliance so difficult in today's world? Yeah, absolutely. So I think security maybe five to 10 years ago was a nice to have. Um, As we go towards the cloud and a lot of our SaaS solutioning, it's transitioned from a good to have to a must have. Um, And a lot of markets that we we work in today, um, it's no longer... Uh, it's a barrier to entry even um, in certain cases. Um, So with that being said, every single country, every single customer has their own compliance and security requirements, um, which can make it quite difficult on organizations on how to approach that. You're talking about thousands, if not tens of thousands of requirements that every framework could call out. There are certain frameworks that if you looked at Excel, literally has one, two, three thousand line items of literally what you need to cover. So it gets really daunting um, to uh, review each one of those line by line and without an organized strategy to, to approach the compliance needs of each customer and country, um, it can cause a lot of burden on, on every team. Okay, so talk to us a little bit about that uh, cloud controls framework and how that can help in these situations. Yeah, so cloud controls framework, the concept isn't new. Um, it has been in the market, but I think what uh, it's really taken off the past couple of years in terms of like taking all these requirements, every single framework calls out. So if you took like a SOC 2 and ISO as an example, analyzing the requirements that are called out in these frameworks and then coming up with your own set of controls to meet these requirements. And then from there, you build on top of that. So it creates a consolidated list of uh, basically a consolidated list of controls to tackle every single framework so that you don't need to uh, review each framework on a at face value. So the initial piece is quite, is, it can take uh, quite a bit of time where you do have to review each uh, framework and understand what the security risks are that they're trying to cover. You have a control map to it, but then going forward, you can see what the overlap among each framework is because the concept, concepts and risks between each framework isn't new. Um, it's something that they may tweak certain aspects of like, oh, are you thinking about this risk? Are you thinking about this? We might have more sensitive requirements, but overall the risks and and concepts are the same. So by having one consolidated framework, you don't need to approach every single framework, um, security framework on its own. You can have one centralized method to approach all of the requirements that, that are being called out. Okay, that sounds like some of the benefits that would result from adopting a CCF as you call it. Um, and you said it's not a new concept or idea. I noticed that it was 2.0. Talk to us a little bit about the evolution of the framework. Yeah, so um, CCF, we continuously evolve it just as the security frameworks worldwide continuously evolve, right? So I think like t- ISO 27001 and SOC 2 just made a, a major revision. Uh, IRAP in Australia does quarterly revisions. So what we do with the CCF is we try to release it 
Um, and this is just Cisco's personal way of doing it. Um, we consistently update our own CCF to make sure that it's meeting the requirements that are updated uh, on a periodic basis as well. And um, prior to Cisco, what I mentioned uh, before is like uh, my boss, uh, Prashant Badlamudi, um, he worked at uh, Adobe prior to that as well, um, socialized the CCF version. But I think what we really notice is for a lot of companies who are just getting into this space who aren't familiar with CCF, it's really helping them streamline their assessments and their go to uh, market access needs. So I think overall, the idea is to make compliance as easy as we can and reduce the amount of engineering overhead there is. Okay. And you mentioned engineering. Now we have an ISACA, a large constituency of security professionals, compliance professionals, governance, audit uh, in particular. And for CCF, you speak about how uh, this framework would benefit engineering teams. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think if you talk to engineers and you talk to them about security and compliance, it's just a major heartburn for them. Like they don't want to deal with anything. They understand how rigorous it is. They they understand how difficult it can be sometimes. So it's almost like a voodoo where it's like, oh, no, like here comes the compliance guys, here comes the security guys. So CCF, um, in terms of what it can bring from an engineering perspective, is there's multiple things. One is, I think, really uh, the consolidation piece that I mentioned before, right? If a team looked at one framework at face value in January, they did it, met the requirements, got the certification, but then, oh, here comes another certification in March that they need to do. And they don't have a CCF. They're taking every requirement at face value. So what I mentioned earlier of like, oh, this framework might have 100 controls. This might have another 1,400 controls. This is another 1,000 uh, controls. Like if they don't have a consolidated CCF, you're looking at every single requirement without realizing what the overlaps are among each requirement. By having a consolidated CCF, you literally just have one playbook that you can go to to say, if I just do these hundred things, I meet every single requirement that's caught out in these three frameworks. There might be some incremental efforts here and there, but at least I know what the overlap is. So by doing so, you can go to engineers and say, hey, I only need one period of your time. We're going to knock out these set of controls. We'll get every single certification that these controls are tied to. And that way it saves, you can almost like designate a specific time of the year to target all these certifications instead of taking them at face value every single time. And as companies like create their own CCF and involve their CCF, um, what we've noticed is to include a narrative of what every control is because risks can be quite, uh, risks depend on, uh, are quite opinionated in some cases. Like what I think is a risk may not be what someone else thinks as a risk, right? So. If you can provide details as to what exactly every single control or requirement you're asking the engineers to execute, and they can just say, I know exactly what you want, it saves time overall as well. So that's kind of the, the amount, what we've seen in terms of benefits and bringing uh, streamlining assessments and whatnot with, with CCF. And that streamline probably also helps with um, evidence, other uh, artifacts that need to be you know, provided. You know, It's kind of a one, stop shop, if I can call it that, um, exactly. implementing something like this. So um, it would prevent uh, what burnout and confusion from the engineering teams. Is, is that what you're seeing? Yeah, exactly. And and it the concept of a CCF, even for us, is we, we like to say a lot, it's a build once, use many approach, right? So um, at companies, there's a lot of functions that 
apply to all engineering teams. Like if you took your HR function example, this isn't synonymous with just one team or one product. This is for a company as a whole. So if you can identify commonalities, like maybe a single vulnerability tool or a single like HR system, single active directory that you use, you can just test that once and apply and every single additional product on top of that, that relies on this central function can just rely on those pieces. So if you can come up with like, instead of like hundred percent is all engineering responsibility, what if you did a 50, 50 split where you had centralized teams supporting 50% of the controls, then that makes it a lot easier for them. And even from a audit cost perspective it streamlined it as well, because um, assessors will typically say, Hey, we're already doing the work for 60% of this certification as part of this other certification. Why don't we just leverage that same work and get you these, this additional 40%? You have audit savings, uh, audit cost savings, you'll have time savings, it makes our lives easier. So there, there's a lot of benefits in, in that, yeah. Absolutely. And what about tooling? And, uh, you know, you're talking about having a single uh, tool, for example. Um, is it important to centralize not only the engineering efforts and ability to respond to a lot of these compliance requests, uh, but also the tooling that underlies it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think if you, if corporations can consolidate as many tools to a common set of tools, not only does it make monitoring easier, but it also just makes the compliance aspect that much easier, right? Um, because typically with an with any product, the more unique tooling and unique tools that uh, is specific to one product and not the other product, you have to test each of these tools and applications independently. Um, because really it goes down to people, process and technology. If those three are different, then uh, assessors typically treat them individual. If you bring a common set of tools, um, again, like I, I point back to the vulnerabilities uh, scanning, if you use a common tool like Qualys or Tenable or, or something else, whatever your uh, uh, company is using, it's the same team that manages it. So if it's the same team, it's the same technology, the process is the same for managing it, then assessors can take that as a one tool supporting 10 functions, test that once and, and uh, rely on it going forward. Because instead of having 10 different tools that they'll have to assess, they just have one consolidated function, one consolidated team to go to. Um, it just makes that much uh, easier to work with. And then even in interview time and working with the engineers um, responsible for that tool, it, it saves a lot of time uh, in that aspect. Okay. What other challenges do you find that multinational organizations, um, you know, they face, you know, when they're attempting to attain the security compliance, these certifications you talk about, there's disparate re um, requirements across the globe, I would think. Um, yeah. How do these cloud service providers uh, address that? Yeah, so I, I will say it's not getting easier. <laughs> um, it is definitely, definitely getting tougher in the security space because everybody is very cognizant of their data and where their data sits and how uh, uh, cloud service providers are protecting that data. Um, so uh, earlier I mentioned it was nice to have, but now it's a, it's a market uh, uh, barrier in some cases where to do business in areas around the world, you you really have to meet these requirements or it's not even going to allow you to, they're not going to allow you to enter that market. Um, and even today, I, I think the hottest topic is de definitely like data residency, um, having uh, the data reside within certain countries or regions. Um, 
So it, it is a growing and that's where CCF can be quite agile, right? Because the concepts that you apply in the US, for example, if they do have local data residency requirements or um, other requirements, you can find what's working in a certain area using the CCF and copy almost like copycat into certain uh, other regions as well. Now, uh, will security risks and controls consistently be updated? Yes, that's where CCF is made to be agile, which is also why um, Cisco, uh, we continuously update our CCF and we update it um, at least annually to, to keep in touch with the requirements. Um, but that that's essentially the essence of it. It's instead of having every engineering team independently assess and keep up keep up to date to the requirements if you could have once consolidated compliance team just release this framework on an annual basis and teams can tune into what exactly the updates are and if you could track the changes of what exactly had changed that just makes it easier to digest and understand for everyone Oh, excellent, excellent. Well, I'm going to ask you to take us through a little bit of the cloud controls framework or the CCF. Can you tell us some at a high level, some of the key elements of the framework? Yeah, so I think the very neat thing that we've done is uh, the easiest thing that CCF has brought is it's just clear visibility. So we have our list of controls as one piece on the uh, on the very left and what the requirements are. Um, what every control risk is trying to meet, but then it very clearly uh, defines like what the overlap is. So we actually mark, like if I took a control A and it marks a 10 framework. So you can almost filter by framework to see where exactly the overlaps are among each framework, like SOC 2 and ISO have like 80% overlap. So it means that, okay, then from an engineering effort, does it really mean I only have about 10% uplift? Is that like two hours? Is that three hours? How much uplift does that mean? And then you can build on that as well. Um, I think a very good thing, again, is for, if you could take that one step further, that our CCF includes the responsibilities um, because a control may not be my responsibility. It may be, again, the corporate responsibility. It may be an HR responsibility. So if you can further delineate responsibilities, it makes engineers understand security that much easier because security, again, is a very complicated space that can get quite confusing. So if you can take the roles and responsibilities piece into it, that makes it easier to identify, okay, who exactly owns this process? And then lastly, we've actually done two things with uh, what we call our RFIs and narrative. So with every single control, we call out what exactly is needed to address the risk. That's the narrative piece. But we've actually worked with assessors as well to identify what exactly that they think should be covered. And this isn't just one assessor. This is like we've worked with a host of a, a assessors to really identify, okay, for this control, what exactly are you looking for for us to produce? And when engineers see that and they say, hey, all they're looking for is for a configuration AWS, or hey, they just want to test how many users were added to the system, or what is your VCP plan? And you can clearly identify that. It just makes it, again, so much easier for them to, to understand because they're not spinning their wheels going through their systems, identifying, is this really what they want? Is this what they want? Do we need to check with the assessor again on like, is this what they want? We can say, no, like this is the what we have. We've already called out exactly what they need. If you produce what exactly they need, then it'll be sufficient. And that reduces a lot of the back and forth between even external assessors and, and, and CSPs as well. Um, which brings time efficiencies as well. And, and it just makes it, again, I think the 
common goal is like, how do you make compliance and security easy for everyone to understand? Because it's a very complicated space. And by having a CCF, it just makes it easier to, to attack those market access needs and, and security requirements. Great, great. And what do you do? What is the strategy to keep the CCF up to date um, and uh, understand what the evolving landscape is, right, around compliance and, and the different requirements and the different certification uh, around the world? What What is your strategy for keeping it evergreen, for example? Yeah. I think it really depends. Um, now, as security evolves, um, there are different costs associated with every security initiative as, as usual. I, I think what's important for CSPs to really understand is what are your customers asking? Who, who are your customer uh, target demographics and whatnot? So it's, it's very uh, important to uh, keep in touch and have good relationships with your customers on what they're asking. What is it that they need? Um, now, is every single customer ask going to be reasonable? Um, I think it's safe to say, obviously not. But what are like the general consensus is that that we're seeing? Is it most of 90% of our customers are asking for a SOC 2? Great. So maybe that's something we should target. But is only like 1% asking for an ISMAP attestation? Then maybe uh, a company will have to juggle um, the kind of the priorities at that point. So definitely keeping in touch with your customers, understanding what are the frameworks that they're interested in um, as much as possible, work even with a, a lot of the government entities today are actually quite responsive in terms of CSP feedback um, on how to make the process easier as well, because uh, I'm sure they've heard a lot about like how difficult it is to meet some of the requirements that they call out. So definitely get in touch with your customers work with a lot of the regulators who who make these uh create these frameworks that you have to meet um and then you can even bring up by using you can use the ccf we actually have used the ccf with some of the regulators who come up with these frameworks to say hey did you know that you actually everything that you've mentioned here is actually already covered as part of this certification. Are you open to like maybe accepting this certification? And sometimes that opens up their eyes as well, right? Because then they're like, we don't need to create something new. It's something that's existing. Why don't we leverage that um, and tune it a bit maybe? But uh, that's how you keep the CCF update. You, you, you keep in touch with what your customers are asking for. If you can keep in touch with the regulators on kind of what's coming down the line and what they're looking for. It, that that's how we keep it most up to date. Yeah. Well, it sounds like quite the challenge, but it's a it's a good strategy. Um, one of my final questions is, what are some of the first steps uh, that people can take to start working with or adopting uh, the cloud controls framework or the CCF? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think uh, first and foremost, understand the risks that these frameworks are trying to address, right? Ultimately, if you can understand the risk of what they're trying to address in terms of like, what is your disaster recovery plan to address the risk of an outage, as an example, or inappropriate access, that makes building a CCF easier. So understanding what exactly the risk that these compliance requirements and frameworks are looking for um, will help you create an CC will help you develop an CCF. And then what I think will also help is as you're building out your CCF, listen to what your engineers are, are telling you, right? Because there's not a, a one solution for all type of blanket statement typically. Um, is it, if there is a solution, like try to consolidate it in terms of that like enterprise function, the, the build ones use many, but oftentimes there are different ways to address different risks. So listen to kind of what your engineers are saying, see if it, if 
one team does it this way, if another team does it this way, if it makes sense to give them options at times, even um, even in a CCF, like you can say, like, if you're not doing this, as long as you're doing this, it's sufficient. So you kind of build that uh, flexibility into CCF um, that will help a lot of engineering teams adopt it as well. So um, listen to feedback to engineering, keep up to date to the framework requirements, understand the risks. And definitely, lastly, I'd say, like, continue to work with your any if you have any assessors or regulars to see what they're looking for um it, that'll help build it out yeah oh excellent excellent well this has been very informative i appreciate it i guess my last question would be how would people get uh access to the ccf yeah so um personally from cisco's perspective uh we do publish the ccf that is synonymous it's not just limited to cisco but it's a good base benchmark that we wanted to give everyone who, who's looking to embark on this journey, like where to start. Um, it, it, we, again, it, it's not synonymous to just Cisco, but it, it's uh, just baseline where people can reference. Um, if your companies or CSPs do have access to uh, a framework such as SOC 2, or if you're uh, part of certain regulatory bodies and you have access to those things, you could always start from scratch as well or leverage ours of, of, of what we have. Um, it's free to access uh, from Cisco's perspective, and um, at least hopefully that builds a, a, a building block for, for most CSPs to use. Right. Well, thank you, James. I really appreciate you taking the time with us to inform us about the CCF. And I want to encourage everybody to look for James's article on improving security while enabling market access with a CCF. Um, that's all the time that we have for right now. I want to again thank everyone for joining us on another ISACA podcast. Mm -hmm.